0: Welcome to Episode 53 of the Listening Brain Podcast. Welcome to the Listening Brain. I'm your host, Todd Houston. In this podcast, we explore childhood hearing loss through the lives of the parents and families who are on this journey and the professionals who serve them. It is my pleasure to welcome Lillian Henderson to the podcast. Lillian earned a master's degree from the University of South Carolina in speech-language pathology and is a LSLS certified auditory-verbal therapist. Lillian is also an assistant professor with the Department of Otolaryngology and clinic manager for speech for the Children's Cochlear Implant Center at the University of North Carolina. She works with cochlear implant and auditory brainstem implant recipients, providing therapy and assessment to children who are deaf or hard of hearing and learning spoken language through listening. Lillian also provides training to professionals and graduate students throughout the United States. She's also a consultant with the Global Foundation for Children with Hearing Loss. And... As a matter of disclosure, Lillian and I have known each other for many years. When I was a doctoral student at the University of South Carolina, she was a master student. And so we've worked together there. Um, I supervised her for a bit uh, with uh, one or two clients that we had, children that we had, who were there in an auditory-verbal program. So it is a thrill for me to have this opportunity to speak with Lillian. Here is the interview. Well, Lillian, welcome to the podcast. Can you introduce yourself and share more about your background?
1: All right. Well, my name is Lillian Henderson. I am a speech-language pathologist um, at the Children's Cochlear Implant Center at UNC and a listening and spoken language therapist, thanks to you. Oh, who okay. absolutely introduced me to the whole approach. Um, So background, well, Mm -hmm. I guess we could go far back to, I got, uh, my undergraduate in, um, fine arts administration at Columbia college. Mm. Um, I, my, 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 uh, instrument was voice and I worked with, um, a very talented, uh, Professor Lanny Palmer in Columbia, South Carolina. Loved Mm -hmm. her, loved her to death. And, um, but realized that I was not going to become a performance major. And so went into fine arts administration and was an administrator for the South Carolina Philharmonic in Columbia. Wow. About two years and hated every minute of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. So at that time, this is before the internet became quite the way it was. Um, <laughs> you would go to your college mm-hmm. and you would take this test on what fields would be appropriate for you. So I, I took um, after I had graduated. I went back to Columbia College. I was in Columbia, but I went back to Columbia College and took this test. Um, in regards to what fields I should do. And speech language pathology came up. And at that time, there was um, a real need for speech pathologists. And sure. they didn't have enough. And so I spent um, the next year working on shadowing people and um, basically uh, taking some courses on speech pathology. I, I started babysitting Hiram McDade's children.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I, I did a, a, a semester doing that too. I think I remember.
1: He was the head of the department at USC. So that Mm -hmm. was always good to like get in on the ground level. Um, and took some courses, shadowed for adults, shadowed at Scottish Rights for Peds, and realized I wanted to work with children. And um I thought I was probably gonna do the school system. Um, but um I did that for a few years and um then transitioned into um, UNC. But you and I met mm-hmm. at UNC.
0: Right. I and I, I was uh, doing my doctorate at the time, and uh, a clinical—I guess at that point—clinical instructor, and we—I mm-hmm. guess we had started the ABT program, this specialization, or at least not sp- yet. So we hadn't got the grant funded yet. So we you, had.
1: I, I remember when you passed the exam for ABT, oh, you came into one of my classes, and Uh-oh. um. The professor, I can't remember who it was, congratulated you for passing the assistive exam. And I was like, oh, what is this?
0: Known known as the auditory verbal. Yeah. A.B.T. exam at the time.
1: At the time. At the time.
0: I think I was at 96, I guess.
1: It would have been 96. Yeah. Because then you and I did a semester, my last semester at USC, which would have been '97. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, I worked with you in mm-hmm. uh, with ABT, and yeah, it was so cool because I remember I was like, "Oh, this is everything that I've ever, all of it together in one big puzzle."
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Speech language auditory memory cognition. Yeah, so I got the bug at that time,
0: and I recall you—you you, you worked with uh, uh, a little kiddo, Justin, at the time, right? Uh huh. And I, I've—I still, I'm, I'm con- still connected on Facebook, actually, with his mom, and get little. She doesn't post because of me, but she just posts things about the family, and he'll he'll come up from time to time. So he seems to be doing really well.
1: Yeah, she reached out um, through somebody else um, to me. Like oh my gosh (laughs) yeah (laughs) she's like that was the first uh the first kid that i had yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah and uh, when you when you left usc where did you go first did you go straight to unc at that point
1: no so i worked the durham public school systems in the preschool for about five years i did that um and after that. that first year um I think it might've been you reached out and said, Hey, we're going to do, um, summer Institute. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so that was the first summer Institute in Columbia. Mm -hmm. And it was intense. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that's when I started the, the tracking towards, uh, getting at least the training. I don't know if I thought I could be certified at that time, but least got what was going through the the training portion of that um yeah and then when I wow. I stayed here in Durham uh, and we did um preschool and then I transferred uh into uh castle the castle program mm-hmm. um, for the second school year so that would have been 2002
0: right right wow I guess I'd forgotten you you were in the school districts in Durham excuse me in, in Durham at the time. And uh so that, yeah. Wow, my memory I'm getting old, so my memory's fading. So it's <laughs> so been a long time. It was a long time ago. And um and um uh, the Summer Institute, that first one we did in Columbia, uh, I remember it being kinda very warm. <laughs> and um I think at some point um Catherine and Beth decided to drive to Alabama.
1: That's right. They went to Beth lake house.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was like, are you coming back? Cause that was like the weekend before this. Cause <laughs> at that point it was two weeks, you know, two full yeah. weeks, which is a lot. Yeah. And, uh, and so that first weekend at the end of the first week, they're, they're out of here, you know, and they're decided, you know, very quickly, they were going to drive to Alabama. Have that time at her lake house on Saturday, I guess, and then come back on Sunday. Like, uh-huh. and I was like, and and I was so worried because that second week we divided up and everyone was supervising, and they would be were supervising all of our uh, s- sort of students, the professionals in the class. And I thought, they're not going to come back. <laughs> they're going to go down there, and they're not going to come back. Something's going to come up. And they're not going to come back. But they they were back. So it all worked out fine. But uh, I was a little worried that it was going to be a disaster in that second week. But we made it through. <laughs> we made it through. And, and And then you eventually did. When did you become certified?
1: So, gosh, I think that Hannah and I became certified in... want to say 2005 it would have been 2005 I think I think that that's about right because it was before um I uh went to China to get my daughter so Mm -hmm. I think around 2005 so yeah
0: and so that was still with AVI at the time, or was it transition? It
1: was. And the year that we did it, we sat, was the first year that they wanted tapes of our therapy.
0: Oh, uh, that's right. You had to send the yeah. tapes in.
1: So you had to submit your therapy and they judged it.
0: And then they said, Yes, you are worthy, or No, you
1: are not worthy to do <laughs> Yeah,
0: I was a AG Bell at that point. I remember a discussion of some, I won't mention names, but someone was saying, Um, Because the challenge was people that spoke a different language, professionals that spoke a different language would sit in their tapes and the people watching the tapes didn't speak the language they were using. And someone said, it's okay, we can watch the tapes and we know what they're doing. And I thought, well, okay, that's up to a point. Sure. But how how do you really know what they're saying and what they're doing and what they're telling the parents? Right. And they're like, it's okay. <laughs> it's like, okay. But yeah, that was one of the issues at the time of getting people to send in tapes and it was very cumbersome, I remember. And then within a couple of years, I was leaving AG Bell going to Utah, and that's when they moved it all to to AG Bell and set up the academy and all of that stuff. So so what has been youth in in your opinion, what do you think has been the major issues that we've seen over the years or or the major <clears throat> um steps forward for these children since you've been with CASEL and and now the program there at UNC So, the, so re- refrain this
1: question again what's the major
0: <clears throat> so During your tenure, you've been there Uh over some time. (laughs) And so how how has your practice evolved? How how has it changed? Yeah. Yeah.
1: How has it changed and how has it not changed? Right. Yeah. I mean, that is the thing. So I just had a conversation with a colleague not long ago in regards to, um, so after COVID, we started um, to see some kids that were like it was 1997 all over again i was like these kids are remedial these are remedial kids so i feel Mm. like um when i started i was not working with kids that were developmental in they were not identified early they were not implanted or or aided early enough Mm -hmm. and so you were working with three and five-year-old kids and and actually working with the old Ling approach right and um and uh and I'm I'm so glad that I had that experience because you know not long afterwards everybody was developmental and Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. majority of people unless you were adopted in another country Mm -hmm. You were getting identified early enough. You were getting implanted fairly early enough. And all you had to do was sing, talk, and read to the kid. And <laughs> and off they go. And right, I right. actually thought that we would, you know, go the way of the Pony Express. I was, <laughs> like, you know, this is not, you know, glad I had my time, but
2: right, right. You know,
1: I don't think that we're going to be around much longer. <laughs> and um, then COVID hit, and we were starting to see more kids that were developmentally um delayed for other reasons besides hearing loss it wasn't just you have a kid that was in 26 and uh, you know we're going to teach you spoken language it was kids that were multiply involved mm-hmm. um including autism that kind of thing and then na- and then COVID happened and then I started seeing the same kids that I saw at the beginning right and um so it it made me realize that um, it all depends on the access these these kids have. If if we as a as a country or as a as a discipline mm-hmm. talk about the importance of early identification, talk about the early the importance of literacy and so forth, then yeah, you don't need us. But I see more and more kids on their on screens. I see yep. more and more parents on screens. Mm-hmm. And I think that we are, you know, creating a problem that would not exist.
0: Interesting. Um, okay.
1: So, yeah, if I could do, if I could pick one thing to like for our, our discipline, it'd be like everybody. <laughs> like, just get mm-hmm. rid of your phones, you know, put it away because it is not helpful. And, um, Mm -hmm. and as you know, a a mother of a teenager, I surely wish I hadn't given a phone earlier. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that, I think that they're very detrimental. Um,
0: are you you experiencing, uh, parents who pull out the phones in their sessions?
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Or, um, I have a, I have a, a kid on my caseload that, um, basically um, does not have hearing loss. And you would expect this family to have, you know, good spoken language, no, no issues. But I think that they were in front of the phone Mm -hmm. thinking they were getting the appropriate thing. They were watching, you know, these videos of a speech pathologist singing to them. (laughs) They thought it was appropriate. And that's not how kids learn language.
0: Right. Very good point. My my sort of um, general rule is if you're using it, if you're using a screen, and and I used to I remember this when I was growing up many many years ago, but the the um, the recommendation or, or 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 what people would say is don't plant your child in front of the TV. The TV should not be babysitting your child. That kind of thing, and limit, you know how much that is happening, and and this is sort of our the same equivalent in a sense is that now where the tv was permanent maybe in your home you now have this portable screen that goes everywhere and parents are using it in many cases to babysit their child now I, i'm okay if there's like someone's knocking at the door and you hand the child here look at this while i go see who's at the door but not to just sit and and for hours and hours and hours watching things on a cell phone or an iPad or whatever the case may be I think that's when we cross the line of course and and like you're saying it's not interactive if the parent is using something to talk to their child about and interact with their child and let them see something and then they talk about it I could better understand that and and accept that but just leaving the child to just to go watch videos or watch YouTube or whatever it 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 drives me nuts it it drives me nuts
1: and you know when you and i were coming along you had saturday morning cartoon maybe you had four hours of it before soul train came on you know (laughs) if you got up early enough right right there were and then you had like you know maybe two hours after school that there was something but that's it I mean, otherwise, there were sports on, there was news on, and then, you know, price is right. You know, it wasn't. <laughs>
0: That's right. Yeah. And only like three or four channels, and you had to get up and go turn the channel.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I tell my students that I was uh, the remote control for my father.
1: And <laughs> the antenna, maybe. <laughs> That's
0: right. Go, go turn the rotor so we can get that station in here uh and they, they have no clue what i'm talking about you know it's just not something they've ever had to do um but yeah i uh, i remember the scooby-doo cartoons and and then soul train and what we had in uh, in where i live is shock theater i don't know if you guys had that. oh before. i didn't
2: have
1: that yet
0: and that was all the um had this really creepy guy who would come on and introduce all the sort of black and white horror movies. Like,
1: Oh, I do remember that. Yeah.
0: Shock Theater. And it was like, you know, the old Dracula movies and Wolfman and all that stuff. No, I do remember. It was like, you know, watching Scooby-Doo and then Shock Theater, whatever. So, yeah, <laughs> the good old days. Um, so, you know, the screens are an issue. And I th- I do think that is going continues to impact these children. And I, I, I do get and, and support, you know, limiting screen time. Um, how, have you talked to your parents about that? And, and what kind of feedback you are you getting from? You know,
1: um, I, the nice thing about getting old, Todd, is people start to listen to you now.
0: <laughs> Sometimes.
1: yeah so like for this family they've completely stopped you you know Mm -hmm. the child in front of the screen so and -hmm. she's talking
0: (laughs) well just 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 wait till they say oh that's a boomer recommendation and you're just a boomer like
1: no i'm generation x (laughs) that's
0: what i tell them i said i'm i'm x i'm not boomer and uh i don't think and then and, and then i got for my son yeah a boomer would say something like that. That you're not a boomer. You're really Generation X. Yeah, that's a boomer response. The
1: best generation, by the way.
0: <laughs> it's the best generation. Best music, best everything. Um, <clears throat> so some parents are responding favorably. Huh?
1: I think so. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I and I do think now that we so when my daughter was younger, you know, I don't think that we had the research to support it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that there's research to support this, I I think that it's even more helpful um to to share. And then you know the thing is, I don't think that parents, I mean, even when they get these little like Fisher Price, you know, computers that talk to, right, you right. think that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And right. um so it's not that parents don't want to do the right thing. It's just sure. that there's they don't know. They don't know what they don't know.
0: That's right. I Um, think that's true.
1: So once you tell them, hey, you know, I've been around the block a couple of times. It's not my first rodeo. If I were you, and I always use this. I do use this a lot. I'm talking mama to mama. Gotcha. If I could do it differently, I would do X, Y, Z. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And, Mm -hmm. you know, that just, that helps.
0: That does help. That would help. Yeah. That would have an impression, yeah, I think they look at me and like <laughs> <laughs> it's okay we'll we'll get another opinion or something like that. No it's uh it, it is a challenge, um, and so that's one of the issues that I've seen and and I like the way you' you're handling it. We're also seeing where I am um, the work I'm doing right now at uh, Akron Children's Hospital with our implant program we're seeing a lot of single-sided deafness, obviously mm. a lot of, a lot of these children who are probably 10 to 15 to 16, who had were single-sided deafness weren't candidates back in the day. You know, uh, now they are. Mm. And many of them are opting for getting an implant in that opposite, that, you know, that one ear. And so, how, have you guys seen the same kind of trends?
1: So, you know, we did some, a study
0: on right, simplified right.
1: deafness, and we're also going to just start another one um, with babies, Um. Mm-hmm. The two. So I think that we're going to start seeing a little bit more of the data, um, but yeah, and and what we're seeing with the older kids is what you would expect because they have a good ear. Mm-hmm. Um, They really are not getting it the potential that you would think from a cochlear implant in the ear that is on death. So, Mm -hmm. but they are, if they wear it, Mm -hmm. um, getting localization and Mm -hmm. being able to, to, to listen to noise and then their quality of life, their recording, their quality of life has um, increased. I think what's happened though is, and I would blame also us as a profession Um, Especially for those of us who started with um, doing, you know, one side implants and then you did the other side. We thought Mm -hmm. when we first started doing this, at least I did, that, oh, it's just the same. We're just going to work on this ear and it's going to get strong. And it is, this is not. So what I'm interested in is with the babies, would that plasticity allow them to get better in that ear. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The question is, how do you do appropriate therapy with it? Because yeah. you have to isolate that ear and right. how do you isolate the ear with technology?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, Sandra Hancock is the main therapist here um, that's been working with psychosighted deafness, And what she normally recommends is that parents um, record themselves either reading or singing into their phone and stream that versus videos so again you're getting that parent interaction
2: mm-hmm.
1: um so that and then and just doing that um you know a few times during the day so that the child is getting that that access with the hearing the the CI alone
0: so how young are you guys implanting the single-sided deafness
1: so if the, I remember know? the study it's seven months is the youngest that the study will do
0: wow well that those outcomes will be really interesting to see as, yeah. you, as you go forward that's exciting that's really exciting
1: yeah Lisa Park um has done you know a, a tremendous amount of work on this um, with yeah. Medel corporation. Right, so right. You know, she would she would be a great one for you to, you know, interview too because she's sure. she's done a lot of work on it.
0: Sure. Yeah. It's we haven't seen as many of the infants yet, but I think I think they're coming. I mean.
1: <laughs> and are most of these kids that you're seeing have um are they CMV positive?
0: Uh I think some are. Uh, I'm trying to remember the ones I have right now that I'm working with, I think I've I've had a couple that were CMB,
1: that were. So, have you heard about the the vaccine studies that they're going to do? they that they're doing.
0: Tell
2: it me about it.
1: Moderna that's doing it. But um, there is um, a trial going on now um, for CMB. Okay. And I mean, if we can get, we can take care of that. And a lot of this is going to be taken care of. Sure, sure. I'm super excited about. So I'll be look, looking forward to hearing about that.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. I do have several kids, little ones that are CMV. That you know, both ears are mm-hmm. gone, <laughs> and they've gotten implants, and they're pretty pretty significant. Luckily, they're um they a cmv in the either the the third trimester or right after being born and then lost their hearing i had one other child uh, it was cmv in the first trimester yeah. and that child was much more affected develop- developmentally in a lot of areas um not just hearing loss um so a very cha- very challenging case in that situation. So, so what else do you guys have going on? I know you've done telepractice you've done, you have the research going, um, continuing to see being sort of the, I would say, in my opinion, the flagship program in North Carolina, if not the country, you know, what in terms of what you guys would do. Um, I would, not hesitate sending families to you guys if they were going to North Carolina and needed that service. You guys have been, uh, in my mind, that that flagship program for for years and years.
1: Well, I definitely think that we are standing on the shoulders of giants, right? <laughs> there were some really great people that started this program and um, put us on a trajectory and also were um, visionaries. I mean, Carolyn Brown, thought about telepractice way before anybody ever, I mean, I remember the right. first time hearing her talk tell, tell, about telepractice, mm-hmm. talking about it. And I mean, we're talking about early two thousand, and right. I was like, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Of <laughs> right, right. And thank goodness she put that into our brain ahead of time because we mm-hmm. were doing telepractice way before COVID. Right. So exactly. it, we didn't miss a beat. We just now were able to be paid for it because because <laughs> right. we were doing it for free.
0: Right, right.
1: Um, so yeah, I, I it, we've had some, and we continue with Carolina's the summer institute. Yes. Um, you know, we had we did not even during COVID we still had CSI. We didn't have the practicum por- portion that that 2020 year, right. but other than that. I mean, we've got we've done Carolina Summer Institute every year, thanks to you and Catherine and Beth Walker. So, yeah. So, um, we we continue with what has uh, what is is part of who we are, um, most definitely. And then we're going to start this mobile unit, um, and that's going to launch in February or end of January. And um, the vision behind that is. Yeah. North Carolina is a is a fairly big state if you think about it. Um, And if you're coming from the mountains or you're coming from the Outer Banks, um, it's a significant trip that families have to make to come into the Triangle area. And um, so what we're trying to do is launch um, a mobile unit to get at least uh, closer to these areas that families don't have to um, travel so far to us because I mean some of these people are it's not only just a day trip, it's you know a couple of days to get here. Um and so we're all, we'll, we'll launch that. And it looks like we'll also be doing a lot of ABRs um and uh possibly even working with the schools uh around North Carolina that don't have um speech pathologists that are in these rural area, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um doing screenings so um yeah we'll see where it it comes we we definitely have done the approach of field of dreams we have built the baseball field that we have built the unit and then we are um seeing um who is uh going to be the ones that we serve in one way or the other
0: so how how is the unit is is it like a like a Winnebago kind of thing. It's or like
1: it... a camper. Yeah. A camper. Yeah. Okay. So The first portion, part of the, the area would be an area that you could do an ABR or mm-hmm. you could do um, therapy for mm-hmm. speech therapies evaluations. And then we have the booth in the back. Um, so it is still being built as we speak. We had a whole oh. discussion this week about to you to have a sink or not to have a sink based on uh, (laughs) how things would get approved or not get approved by infection prevention. So, uh, yeah, so these are the things that we are. And of course I think that they've already picked out the colors of Carolina blue. So there you have it. (laughs) That's
2: great. That's great.
1: (laughs) So, um, but yeah, we've, we've, uh, identified at least three different locations, one um close to Lumberton, which is about mm-hmm. two hours away, and then two areas that um are in the mountain areas, mm-hmm. um about two and a half hours away. So it'll be a long day for providers. Um Very but nice. um yeah
0: so so is it gonna go out like like say Lumberton you go out for the day and you come back mm-hmm. the same day.
1: Yeah, I I think we're going to be talking about 10, 12 hour days is pretty much what Mm. what we would do. So um, and, you know, my hope is that those that are experienced um, figure out all the kinks and so forth. And then um, we hire some CFYs and. um, AUDs that are just graduated that have the energy to uh, (laughs) (laughs) sustain that. They can right. do three twelves, uh, you know, and um, and put them out there, and because that that's another thing that I think that you know now that as 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 you know, I've been here for a long time, and and most we do not have high turnover here, no, not at all, and um, but and we have a lot of experienced providers, but you know, eventually we're going to retire, mm-hmm. so we need to start uh training the next generation that's going to to be running this clinic after us so and it takes a while you know it
0: does it does and but i think you go you're already ahead of the game because you're thinking about that succession plan Mm -hmm. so many places don't they just think it's just going to go on but you know i think i think it's important for you build that that layered uh, step of leadership, so people can see that you know, and mm-hmm. have opportunities to do those things. Um, and I, I think that's been something you guys have always done, and and nurtured people to do more and experience more and get more, you know, experience in certain areas. And those who want to do more leadership can do that. And and you're not left, uh, you know, like what do we do now? We just lost this person and. We don't mm-hmm. know how to do all these things. So I think that's I think that's wonderful. And I think the mobile unit is it, it really sounds it's almost like it's it's very innovative. But I you know, it's kind of going back to some of the things that I, I remember back in the in the in the eighties where you would have
2: the book
0: well the bookmobile is one yeah but i remember places that had like a mobile audiology clinic and things mm-hmm. like i think i think uh johnny sexton at one point mm-hmm. they were involved in one years years and years ago I didn't know
1: they'll have to yeah. ask him about
0: that um and they went around doing something similar and um and so i think you know, reaching some of these families who who have these issues in a very similar way, like telepractice does. Mm-hmm. If you know you have the rural areas, of course, but you know you could have situations where the families just don't have the resources to drive in to the center, or they, you know, as we know, are language issues and all these other sort of factors. We don't uh, have don't always think about, but I think would benefit from having that mobile unit. So that's, that's really exciting. So
1: yeah, we'll see. Yeah. To be continued.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so Lillian, I know I want to be respectful of your time. Um, What advice would you give you you're mentioning those CFys or those new graduates. What advice would you give them if they really wanted to work uh, with kids with hearing loss who really wanted to maybe eventually get their LISL certification? What advice would you would you give them?
1: Oh, well, I do think that there is quite a benefit to a. Knowing another language, so if you can learn Spanish. I say mm-hmm. go for it. I also I call uh, uh so Chrissy Kramer is um a speech pathologist here, and I call her the triple threat. You know, like on Broadway, you can sing, mm-hmm. act. Right. She can do listening, spoken language. She can sign, and she can do cute speech. Oh, and wow. so yeah. I think that knowing that. The, we're going to be seeing kids that possibly do not have good anatomy that cochlear implants are not going to be the, um, the cure to a language development. I think knowing a visual system
2: mm-hmm.
1: and knowing when to use it and when not to use it, right. Um, is going to be something that I would, would if I could do it over again, I would actually be fluent in both of those. Um, and then I also think that you just need to be around kids that babysit. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, be around kids that are just developing and at a typical trajectory. Mm-hmm. So you know the difference between, yeah, this is what you would expect a two-year-old to do, or this is not what you would expect a two-year-old to do. Right. Um, right. You know, there's certain things that I don't, like when you're working with kids, I, I think it's hard to teach play. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I I guess, you know, again, being around kids and knowing what's fun for them. Right. Um is is important. So those are the things that I would suggest if I was, you know, to do it over again. Um, I
0: I would agree with all those. Yeah. I, and I I my, think, go
1: ahead. I think you're gonna see more and more kids with autism.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um within our I mean I think we're seeing just in general. Um and so I think knowing a little bit more about other other um, diagnoses and knowing that just because you have hearing loss doesn't mean that you don't have something else to. So um, I think that that's another thing that I think that is pretty much important. I do see a lot more recently, you know, going back to what you know what hasn't changed and what has changed. Um, mm-hmm. I do see a lot more people thinking that sign language doesn't hurt, um, right? Um, and so I think. I think basically explaining to people that it's just like another language that, you know, I can't teach my daughter Mandarin because I don't know Mandarin. I mm-hmm. know a few words, but that doesn't make language. I think that that's something else that um, we continue to struggle with that mm-hmm. you only can teach a language if you know it.
0: Very very excellent point and, and i'm seeing the same thing here in ohio where the idea let's let's not deny the child any means of communication let's just give it give the Take child everything yeah. and uh and and you know the the, the mixed uh, message or the mixed information going in you end up with mixed information coming out mm-hmm. um and so um it's it's hard to to go up against that, because it it it's so on the surface sounds very reasonable, mm-hmm. especially to a parent oh, I don't want to deny my child anything, you know, you know, oh my goodness, they have a hearing loss. They have, we have to do everything, and yeah, so we I continue to wrestle with that and and I was at the Eddie conference in Cincinnati uh, earlier this year, and and that was coming up a lot, and I was thinking. Can't we get past this? This is like 20, 30 years ago, we were saying, and trying to say, no, that's not quite how it should work. And when you do that, you're really not allowing parents to choose what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all those issues. And it's it's just it does get tiring after a while if you keep having to say, well, no, let's think about it differently. hmm but yeah, I, I I think all of the things you recommend is is certainly right on top of it. And I think one of the things I tell my students uh, is that you you know you can't you can't know atypical development if you don't know typical development. Mm-hmm. And so you, know, you have to really understand what to expect from children at, at different stages of development, different ages. And sometimes they they say okay, and sometimes just stare at me and. Call me a boomer and it's okay. Well, Lillian, it's been wonderful catching up. Uh, you are one of my heroes. So I want you to know that. And uh I've always looked up to what you've done and and your your career and everything you've done there at UNC. And I just uh I'm really appreciative of you being here on the podcast.
1: Well, I appreciate you asking me. And you are the one that started it all for me. So I, I thank you for giving me the introduction into this field. It is it is definitely a career that I have not regretted.
0: Wonderful. And how if someone wanted to reach out to you and ask a question or something, how could someone reach you?
1: So they can reach me um through my email, lillian.henderson@ at unchealth.unc.edu.
0: Wonderful. Well, have a great rest of the week and a great weekend. Okay.
1: Take care. Bye-bye.
0: I want to thank Lillian once again for joining me on the podcast. It was so wonderful to have this opportunity to speak with her. She has become someone that I have greatly admired over the years. And she now teaches me things that I never thought of before. And I just really appreciate her time. And she is definitely one that we need to continue to watch in this field. Uh, She is amazing. So thank you again, Lillian, for joining me. And thank you for listening to this episode. And please, if you don't mind, leave us a five-star review. That always helps out. And until next time, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.